Hello, EDECMO. This is Zach Shiner. I'm here with Joe Belezzo. Hey, everybody. And we just got back from Smack. It's July 2015. Joe, what'd you think? Smack was absolutely amazing. We gave an ECMO workshop. We gave a couple of lectures, and Zach Shiner danced on stage. It might be the most horrible rendition of the Blues Brothers you have ever seen. I've got video of it. Email me. But actually, I will say that Joe and one of our partners, Chris, did an ECPR pro and con talk that was just out of this world. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, man. Yeah, there were a few expletives in there, but there was like, some good content. What they did was they allowed us to see ECMO for not only the good things, but also the, the things that are in question. And that was the goal, and you guys can check that out when it comes out on Smack. It's going to come out as foamed. It's going to be free. We'll let you guys know, and you can go on and check out that video. It's pretty fun to watch. We try to do it entertaining. So today, we have a most unbelievable guest, and this story that you're going to hear today is, is absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. Mm. I encourage you to stay till the end, but we have Joe Ornato. Joe, thanks for joining us. Oh, well, you're very welcome. I really appreciate the invitation. So Joe is one of the co-editors of the journal Resuscitation. He works out at VCU. He runs basically the whole pre-hospital paramedic system for Richmond. Well, you might might say uh, it's been a passion uh, in the field of resuscitation for my entire career, which is now uh, probably about 40 years. And he is triple boarded. He is internal medicine, he is emergency medicine, and he's cardiology. So Joe, why don't you just tell us resuscitation 2015, what are things that you think are going on? This is one of our five-year major guideline years in terms of the American Heart and ILCOR International uh, Resuscitation Guidelines. The American Heart Guidelines, uh, you, you, your readers or your uh, listeners may know, will be coming out uh, in the fall. In addition to that, uh, the uh, Institute of Medicine for the last year has been conducting a very comprehensive study of the field of resuscitation the research, the public health implications, and literally just today they have released an over 300-page document with the findings of their report. Uh, they had a webinar just a couple of hours ago that was fantastic, and it is going to really, I think, be a blockbuster report in the field. You know, the Institute of Medicine is the same organization that a number of years ago published the landmark study to air is human. You know, the study that basically pointed out that hospitals, despite our best efforts, uh, at least at that time, were making enough errors to uh, account for many, many unnecessary deaths. And of course, today, all of our hospitals are, you know, much more committed to safety, and hopefully those numbers are going down dramatically. As far as specifics are concerned, you know, if I had to list the top couple of things that I think are really critical, believe it or not, I'd put ECMO at the top. You know, it's uh, it's very clear to me that we hit a wall in terms of the number of lives that can be saved with a decent neurologic outcome by using the conventional techniques that you know we've had for decades, and that there are certain categories of individuals who you and I and and your listeners know are just not going to survive or simply not do well with without very rapid initiation of uh, advanced you know circulatory support. And so uh, you know I I put that at the top of the list. The resuscitation outcome. Consortium. I have the privilege of co-chairing it uh, for NIH. We have a huge number of VMS agencies, over 350 that are involved, and it's winding down its second five-year cycle of funding. The consortium has already 
published in the last eight or nine years over 60 or 65 scientific manuscripts, done a number of clinical trials, the large trials being in the vicinity of 10 to 20 or more thousand patients uh, with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. Again, the Resuscitation Outcomes Consortium is finishing up a several-year trial uh, that will enroll its last patient probably in November. It's uh, regardless of what it what the findings are. I think it's going to be really relevant to our resuscitation practice because what it's looking at is uh, out of hospital cardiac arrest patients who start with V-fib or quickly develop V-fib in the course of a resuscitation get a shock and then have that V-fib come back. So it's either recurrent or refractory V-fib. And the trial involves the paramedics opening a drug kit, and there are blind, three blinded syringes in each drug, drug kit, and they contain either three doses of amiodarone, three doses of lidocaine, or are you ready for this? Three doses of placebo. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's going to be a regardless of, you know, what what it shows when the code is finally broken. I'd actually love to see this the study for these VFib patients with ECMO because a lot of us think that maybe some of the benefit from ECMO is just that, that re-arrest rate. I mean, even if you get them out of cardiac arrest and they still have this cardiac stunning that occurs for several days. And so we've seen in our patients just this idea that maybe initially right after the event, they're okay, but, but then they need that support later on. And so maybe ECMO has a dual benefit in, in sort of those refractory V-fib patients. So you're saying the next rock trial should be three doses amio, three doses of Lido, and one yeah. big dose of ECMO? Uh, well, you know, I, I reaction to that, you know, I, I actually agree with you, of course. Our uh, procedure here at VCU is if we have someone who is certainly a recurrent or refractory VF and meet criteria similar to what you have on your website where, you know, they don't have any uh, terrible pre-existing medical conditions or, you know, neurologic disability that would ethically and reasonably preclude, you know, uh, more advanced uh, measures, uh, we'll put them on ECMO and, and, you know, bring them to the cath lab. So, uh, absolutely, I think that's, you know, that's really, it'd be great to have a study done, but I think just, you know, from the standpoint of clinical experience, you know, it's pretty dramatic to see how, you know, folks do when you get them stable hemodynamically and all of a sudden the you know the frantic helter skelter to try to get them stable becomes a very different situation where now you you've bought yourself time stability and you know good perfusion of vital organs so that you can actually move the patient to the next stage of whatever definitive intervention whether it's a PCI or you know, trip to the OR, et cetera. But uh, it, it's just a, you know, a wonderful tool that I wish more places had available and used frequently enough so that they could perform it quickly and correctly. All right, Joe, so let's, let's go to ECMO now. Right now, how do you feel the literature is in regards to ECMO? I, I think we're still, to be perfectly candid, I think we're still at a phase that the mainstream of hospitals and practitioners and intensivist cardiologists, I think, are, are very clearly aware of the case series that, in some cases, for example, for cardiac arrest and massive pulmonary embolus, are, are pretty impressive. But as in many other you know, tools and techniques, having a large, at least one large randomized clinical trial would go a long way, I think, towards moving the adoption, if you will, or more widespread adoption forward. Now, those comments, uh, by those comments, I'm really 
primarily referring to its use in an emergency setting, not so much, you know, it's in hospital use for the many types of things that, you know, for years, I think are pretty well accepted, you know, respiratory failure, kids, uh, pediatric, et cetera, et cetera. And really, my comments, at least my, my translation of the question you asked is really focusing on emergency use as in, you know, patients brought in from the field who either uh, can't be resuscitated successfully, that is, no return of spontaneous circulation. So just like the rock trial on ITD looked so good before, we get a big trial that comes out, and now we're like, ah, well, what do we do with this? Same sort of thing is we're still looking for that big trial for ECMO. Well, I, I'm sad to have to say that because I, I think, you, you know, from what I see of your system and your practice, I think you're as any as well as any that any folks that I know of nicely demonstrating in a very well functioning system how much it adds to our armamentarium in treating these patients i think i have that same bias because you know if you're in an environment where you have a good rescue system a good ems system that's fast that's very capable and they can't restart you know an unstable uh, otherwise viable patient and you're in an environment where they routinely can get them to you quickly if it's clear that you know standard simple bls als is not going to do it you know, you, it's, it's hard to overlook what you see with your own eyes, you know, in terms of the uh, survivability and stability of these patients when they're quickly placed on, on ECMO. So, Joe, you being the, the pre-hospital guy, hitting on a point that's really dear to both Joe and I, and that is, in this day and age where we do not transport unless we have ROSC, does ECMO change that for you? Do you think we should start moving to a system where we could potentially transport patients that are still in VFib using maybe a Lucas or something that would keep the medics safe? Yeah, personally, my bias is absolutely yes to that question. I think that's you know that's where this whole field is is, is again, in my humble opinion, is going because you know when you look at the brutal numbers, uh, you know, the national figures for survival from out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, you know, we're talking 7 or 8%. And that even is a real maybe rosy view of what the reality is because, you know, when you look at the yearly uh, American Heart Association so-called heart and stroke facts that come out, you know, that sort of estimate the national survival from a variety of conditions, including cardiac arrest, by the way, their data primarily come from the rock, the resuscitation outcomes, uh, epistry and the CARES network. Those are, the, you know, the two big out-of-hospital registries. But uh, when you look at either CARES or, or rock figures, they're, they're pretty close to one another. You're looking at roughly, you know, 7 or 8%, give or take a percentage point, survival to discharge. But that's for EMS work duress read the the details in the heart and stroke facts and you know in virtually every ems system i've i've ever been involved in or or certainly in the rock ems systems we're seeing pretty much uh, about 50 percent of calls where it's a cardiac arrest the patient is you know very clearly deceased on arrival of the first responders ems providers paramedics and the like so you know that seven or eight percent is actually for work DMS arrest. So if you look at the total universe of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, you're really talking about a survival of maybe 4%. 
that ain't good, <laughs> you know, <laughs> no. for a condition that kills, you know, out of hospital almost 400,000 people a year in the United States. So we've clearly got to change our strategies, and uh, and I think uh, it, to me, ECMO is is clearly one of the very interesting and I think very important options. But you know as well as I that how quickly you get a person on it is like many other therapies in cardiac arrest, very critical. And so, you know, an early uh, decision to transport and having a team ready in the ED, I think, is absolutely uh, where this whole field is going to go. Hey, Joe, Joe here real quick. You know, taking segueing what you just said uh, and and understanding the limitations of the literature that we have available to us right now, it sounds like we all have a bit of a bias that sooner is better in somebody who's failing ACLS or failing cardiac arrest care. And so how, what is your feeling? What are your thoughts on the direction we're sort of trying to push things, which is that ER doctors should be the ones on the front lines learning to cannulate and learning to initiate ECMO? Absolutely agree. Our, our program, um, you know, is not exactly quite as far along as yours, although we've been at this for a good three or four years, but we're just at the switchover point with a target date of September to actually have our uh, emergency physicians do exactly what you said, what you guys are doing, which is initiate cannulation. We have a you know, 24-7, actually more than one ECMO team in-house. Our cardiac surgeons are, of course, in-house. We have one of the largest, it may be the largest, total artificial heart uh, implant program in the country. I think we've we've had the largest number of implants in the last three or four years. And so it, because of that really huge uh, need in-house, we, we've got, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the right kinds of people here. Our intensivists and our cardiac surgeons currently respond to the ED with the perfusionists and with the equipment. But we're, uh, you know, starting in September, we've just purchased two new machines, one of which will be based in the ED. And uh, we're in the process of literally training my attending staff so that, you know, they can initiate uh, cannulation and then hand it off to, you know, the intensivists and the cardiac surgical team when they get here you know, so that it's uh, it's not a delay in waiting for anyone to arrive. And six of those VCU docs are coming out to reanimate in February. An, an unashamed plug will actually probably be sold out of the conference by the time this gets aired. Oh boy. Yeah, we only have, I think, two spots left. But yeah, so Joe, we, we talked about resuscitation in general. We talked about ECMO. Now, you have a little bit of personal experience with this. Could you share with us that story? Yeah, you know, it's tough when you have to be one of the quality control sort of subjects in, <laughs> in a program that you've played a, at least a modest role in helping to get started. As you guys know, about two and a half months ago, I actually got put on ECMO right. because uh, I wound up having massive uh, pulmonary embolus when I was at home. I was about two weeks post having minor procedure done for kidney stone, so I, the only risk factor I had was I was post-op. Otherwise, I'm you know blessed to be a perfectly healthy guy, and uh, suddenly developed shortness of breath, like severe lightheadedness, when I was at home and got myself safely to the ground because I was fearful I would pass out, and suddenly my brain basically said, you dummy, you just had a massive PE. It's like, oh, what else could this be? You realized it at the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And called ahead, dialed. My wife is uh, also works here at VCU. She's a 
heart failure transplant cardiologist and called her, told her to call 911. We lived out in the county and I called her instead of just hitting 911 because my very simple message to her was, I, I just had a massive PE, I'm you know, on the ground, <laughs> I'm okay, but I, I need for you to you know, call the ECMO a team, get everything set up in the ED, get the OR to block a room for me and get the cardiac surgeons to meet us in the ED. And within three minutes of my hanging up, one of my fire crews was here, got to me, transported me the 15 or 20 minutes, bypassing several other hospitals that, of course, did not have uh, ECMO capability in the ED. And en route, I was able to converse with them, but they were unable to get, you know, a, a blood pressure, believe it or not. Uh, no blood pressure. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> moving ambulance and all, but uh, I was obviously pretty shocky. And when I got here, everybody was waiting. They RSI'd me, cannulated me, and there was a brief five or six minute period where, you know, once I got RSI, uh, the end title stayed up around 20. But our team had difficulty, you know, feeling a, a pulse, so they pumped on my chest for five or six minutes. So, oh, geez. you know, once the cannulas were in, they pushed the button, got uh, pinked up, and off I went to the Damn. operating room for a two-hour open ambulectomy. Uh, <laughs> here I am, but about two and a half months later, I've been at work for about two or three weeks now, back uh, running every morning uh, two miles Unbelievable. Uh, every day. Unbelievable. Uh, Perfectly intact, uh, absolutely no, uh, no, you know, difficulties at all. And you know that uh, in a condition that, you know, you look up the expected mortality and morbidity. I mean, this is, you know, it's a game changer and have in terms of having a, you know, a system uh, in place that, you know, is able to to do that. And the good news is, uh, a, I'm doing great. But the even better news is this is the first time we've, even in my department, had this happen. Uh, about two and a half years ago, one of my graduating resuscitation fellows, 31 years old at the time, had almost exactly the same thing happen. She was a couple of weeks after having a minor operative procedure on her knee and had a cast on her leg. And she uh, arrested in our ED uh, after she developed sudden shortness of breath and uh, was hypotensive, quick look with an echo, and it was obvious she had a big pulmonary embolus. We wound up putting her on ECMO, getting her to the OR. She had an embolectomy. She's now running a major resuscitation program at one of the Detroit hospitals and just finished a half marathon. So, you know, uh, two examples, unfortunately, both from my department. But I think, you know, it's, it's those kinds of experiences that make me personally certainly grateful for living and being involved in a in a you know in a medical center and an EMS system that you know can offer that kind of therapy, but also I, I think very much uh, you know on a personal level convincing if as if I needed convincing that this kind of uh, approach and this kind of therapy is is absolutely the way to go. Wow. Joe, that is just it's unbelievable. It unbelievable. is an unbelievable story. I mean, even I'm just going to say one thing before we even talk about the ECMO is you saved yourself. You really did. I mean, you 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 called the right people. You had them transport your your medical knowledge. You know, was a huge factor in this as well. And then, oh my, just to be put on ECMO in the ER by your colleagues and save your life—that is just—it's unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. 
Joe's got goosebumps here. I, I actually do. I feel like J-Lo on American Idol. The, you can either, you know, when you go through something like I, I, I've gone through, you can either, you know, look at it and go, oh, my God, oh, my God, which, of course, is an appropriate response. And, yeah, I, I've done that. But you can also look at, you know, some of the uh, almost f- funny to say this sort of silly little things that, you know, happened afterwards. For example, when I woke up in the ICU after a couple of days after, you know, being expedited, one of my attending physicians in the ED came up to visit one evening. And <laughs> he was the guy that intubated me. And we had a very, you know, funny conversation back and forth, which ended with him looking at me and saying, um, I just want to ask you one question. You know, before I RSI'd you, before you, you sort of nodded off, uh, you know, and, and checked out, he said, do you remember the conversation we had? We talked about the fact that next year when you do my yearly evaluation, <laughs> you were going to give me like the very best evaluation. <laughs> Uh, you know, so, I mean, silly little things like that have happened along the way, and they've certainly made it a little bit easier for me to, <laughs> to you know, to look upon this, you know, for what it was, which is, a for me, an incredibly fortunate, you know, set of events that occurred, but also, if you will, reinforcement that, you know, the approach that we and you guys are, and others are taking, I think, really uh, is the way to go. Uh, Edie Ekmo, we have just heard one of the most unbelievable stories. We have talked about other patients, but this is the editor of Resuscitation, the co-chair of the Rock Consortium, the chairman of Virginia Commonwealth University, a pillar in the field of resuscitation, was saved by ECMO for pulmonary embolism. Absolutely unbelievable. And Joe Onato teaching us a new paradigm. It's now see one, do one, be one, teach one. <laughs> All right, ED ECMO, July 2015, signing off. Streets made.